Glory be to God. We're going to turn to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. And gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. It's important to note, these first, to note in these first 12 verses that the people had no habitation. They had nothing. They came out from the house of bondage, leaning upon God. Even though they were in that harsh servitude in Egypt, they would complain later that at least we had some food, as if God wouldn't feed them. They complained more than once to Moses about God and to God about Moses. And God said, when they complain against you, Moses, step aside, they're actually speaking against me. How did it happen? The people that God said, I have borne you or taken you on eagles' wings. Royally, I brought you out. I didn't bring you out empty-handed. I, I caused the Egyptians to willingly give you literal jewels, these treasures. And I did miracle, 10 of them, right in front of all of Egypt. Not only Egypt heard about it, by the time they would go, some years later, the second generation that is, under Joshua, they would find out that Jericho knew about it too. And Rahab said, this prostitute, former prostitute said, our hearts melt within us. We're afraid. We heard what your God did. How you opened up the Red Sea and so God's name was famous everywhere. Because Egyptians thought we have them. Their God is a God of the plains and not of the mountains and God of the mountains, not of the plain. And he can't touch the water because he doesn't know about water. He doesn't know about the sky. They had all these idols and demons that they thought control every part of their lives. Not unlike today. People have gurus today. Many times in the media, many times those people are heavily involved in the occult. But you won't see it with their smile, the way they conduct themselves, so nice. Egypt had all of these different demons. And they thought the God of the Hebrews, whoever he is, that's why Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should let your people go? He's asking Moses, are you kidding me? You want me to let all your people go because your God wants you to go to the desert in the wilderness a few days journey and worship him? Who is the Lord that I should let you all go? Just like that? Moses came back every time. I'm going to show you who the Lord is. Finally, Pharaoh reluctantly let them go and then he wasn't happy. He chased after them. This one, God said, go, 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 Pharaoh. Come right into the sea. 
But it's important to note here that with all that they witnessed, they came out joyfully. Miriam, Moses' older sister, and the tambourine, they're worshiping. Everybody is worshiping. We know about the song of Moses. What had happened in our lives? God has brought us out of so much oppression from Satan. And we are so thankful to God and so excited. Could it be that we can resort to our own way, begin to complain there, here, little? Become ungrateful and start thinking about, Lord, what's the next big move in my life? Come on. Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do next. And sometimes we forget the great things he's done and is doing presently. In this case, it's written that they rebelled against God. And in more than one psalm, and in more than one book in the Bible, after the fact, after the incident happened in Exodus, quite a number of times God has recounted this to the, so the people will hear, including us. Don't do like what they did. Paul brings that also. We seek the mercy of God that just as much as they deserved severe punishment and a good number of them did get that, God's heart is always to restore whoever would listen. And that's the criteria. Whoever, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. We'll see many times that Israel rebelled, but every time, especially in the book of Judges, we see that God comes and rescues them when they cried out. But it's significant to note, as I've mentioned before, sometimes we can be in a fog and think, well, I like the Psalms and I like all of what happened. After all, how did the story end? I mean, they, they did get the fountain of God in, in the house of David, didn't they? I mean, all those promises need to know that every time the judgment came, there were casualties and there were losses of life and souls. We must remember that the remnant does not include the whole nation. By virtue of definition, of its definition, it means a portion. So what happened to the rest? Does the promise of God work for them too? Would they come back? No. So there is a cutoff point, as I mentioned this morning. And anyone who reads the scriptures and doesn't realize that God does have a limit to his patience. He does have a cutoff point. They're in very difficult and horrible self-delusion. That's when the fear of God will be largely, if not totally absent. That's when the attractions of the world will start to become, not dim, as the song says, Turn my eyes on Jesus, to Jesus, upon Jesus. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. They'll actually get brighter and brighter. And they'll think that there's nothing wrong. I can be a Christian and I can be a what they used to call a worldling. What is a worldling? It's exactly the opposite of what Jesus told his disciples. You are in the world, but not of the world. A worldling is in the world and of the world. And James warns against that. He said, don't you know if you love the world? You've actually cheated on God. In James 4.4. 4. So what is this world? Well, Israel loved the world. For them, Egypt was their world. They loved it that Moses came and he made good on the promises to deliver. And they saw God act in an unprecedented way. No other nation saw that. No other nation witnessed that God came to their rescue like that. God kept saying, Israel is my firstborn, let him go. The people collectively, God said, they're my offspring. And I will rise to defend them if anyone touches the apple of my eye. We can run off with the promises. And sometimes God will direct us when we read or we hear a sermon to hear just the promises. You know why? Because we've been beat up so bad. We allowed ourselves to fall so low. And we've already begun to have the repenting. 
God won't come and break a bruised reed. He won't come and quench a smoking flax. He will come to bind up the brokenhearted. Even though much of the wounds are self-inflicted, God being a loving father, and as he said, a nursing mother may forget her babies, if that's possible. But he said, me, I will never forget you. So in those cases, when people are having their repentance and they realize the depths of their sin, God's not going to come and hammer them. He will tell them, don't get discouraged. Now it's time to get up. Come. All things are now ready. There will be a fountain in the house of David. Uncleanness. I will take the false prophets out of the land. You see the hope? When we see false prophets abound and people doing gimmicks and all kinds of things happening, if we are exposed to that more and more, we're aware of that, we can get discouraged. Thinking, Lord, how long will it be before these people stop? Prophets for hire. God said, I'll take care of them. I will. So we have hope. And we stick to what is good. Reject the false. Even if it's a minority. So God will come and give that hope. He will nurture us and encourage us. And he will say, yes, I had to punish you, but now you receive double for your sins. It's enough. Isn't it so wonderful? By the same token, when people have superficial repentance and they want to only hold on to the promise of God, but they don't want to own up to their sin, they rather live in a fantasy world. They rather flock with people who also don't live holy, but they have all the promises and they keep claiming that. Many, many people in ministry are like that today too. They're leading people astray because they refuse to teach them how to fear the living God, walk in a holy way, in the love of God, in humility and true honesty. For the people who say that's enough for their repentance stuff, don't condemn me. I'm looking for a place and people who will tell me what I want to hear. Itching ears. Paul actually wrote that to Timothy. The Holy Spirit has recorded it for us also. In the last days, people will come, just like Jeremiah's counterparts, and they'll even have the audacity to go up and slap the prophet, the real prophet. Then the prophet will say, you can do whatever you want to me, but know this, God is going to get you. God came through on that threat. Because it was God's love that told him, are you going to repent? How many years? Hundreds of years he warned them. And they had the audacity to slap, to put in a dungeon, to beat, and even to cut a prophet in half. That's what Jesus said. So that the blood of all the prophets from Abel on down is going to fall on your head, he told the Pharisees. That means that God is watching every step. There's nothing that happens to his body, his church, that he's not only not aware of, that he won't take vengeance against. So on the one hand, the people that are repentant and they've been punished because God loves them. He wants to wake them up. And he says, so you don't get destroyed with the world. I want to save you. So I have to discipline you. Because I'm a good father, I have to do certain things so that you recover and go to heaven. The other hand, the people who don't repent, they have no claim whatsoever in the eyes of heaven. In the court of heaven, the eyes of God, to claim any promise. How? It would seem absurd. For a child that comes into the house and breaks everything in the house to go to the parents and say, where's my allowance? Your allowance? Yeah, I want to go buy more hammers and come and destroy more property. By the way, here's your Father's Day card and your Mother's Day card. I love you. It's exactly what many people do and these people did. 
So God had to tell them, don't come to me anymore. When God reaches that point, that means he has waited a long, long time. So the point is that we need to be aware that the Bible always, just like the Lord Jesus said, there are two roads. It has never changed. It's still there until Jesus comes back and time is consummated. Satan is thrown into the lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet and all the people that rebel against God. This is the Bible. What do we do with this? Should we say, no, I don't want to hear this? That's what it is. The two roads. And so we make a decision which road we will be on. And it will not be popular, the narrow path, but that's the path that will lead to life. So he led them by the right way that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Can you think of people in your life that are not walking with God? And do you know what that means? We cannot just think, oh, they'll come around. Because God is love, God is merciful. Then why the urgency? All throughout the scripture, even from Enoch, Enoch from the beginning, as Jude records that thousands of years later, that he himself prophesied. This is early on in human history, relatively speaking. He's the seventh from Adam. What happened? Way before the flood, this nonsense was happening where people started doing whatever they felt like. When they get into trouble, into trouble, they, they, where's God? And Jesus didn't mince words either. He was there teaching the temple daily for a season. Then around Galilee, the fishing district, he went into the Gentile, he was all over the place because the time was short. That's why he said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. You know what he said? Therefore, come and give me presents. Let's celebrate Christmas. He said, repent. Did that message ever change? It did. It changed in the mouths of false prophets who later, later established all kinds of things. Monasteries and big cathedrals and They'll set up systems of penance and all kinds of things and tell the people, you know, you need to feel the spooky feeling that God is watching. But don't worry, if you pay enough money to the church, and if you go through all the rituals, not unlike the rabbis of Jesus' day and before his day. So in the Christian church. And you know what the Lord says? Just like he said to Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a true prophet. But he said, the person that I tell to warn the people they don't want, all the blood of the people that I sent them to will fall on that person's head. Because they told them what they wanted to hear, not what I told them to speak. Since when did man's word ever save anyone? It's only God's word. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Verse 6, and he delivered them out of their distresses, the mercy of God. So they had nothing, no place. God already had in mind, I'm going to bring them to a place where they didn't labor. Houses that they didn't build. I'll give you everything. God says, I have everything set up. There's no guessing here. God is not going through the wilderness with them and say, let me see now. What can I do? He already had everything set up. And he involved his people. Notice, he could have driven out everybody. Just like he destroyed the Egyptians. Or he could have sent sent billions of locusts into the land of Canaan. He could have sent hail and lightning. He could have killed all of them. He could have buried them. He could have had other nations come and burn them and take everything away. But he wanted his people to know how to overcome that which God hates. God loved all of them, the Canaanites, but they insisted, we're going to kill our babies, we're going to burn them, we're going to do all kinds of vile things with our bodies, and we will worship everything we can find. You can't stop us. 
They continue. There is a lot of murder, a lot of immorality, a lot of evil going on. It reached up to a point. That's what God says. The sins of the Amorites, it's filling up. It's just about time. Because I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. They keep getting worse and worse and worse. Just like Noah's time. God had a, a period of time that he waited. And then he had to execute judgment. So it's interesting that in the Psalms, traditionally, traditionally the Psalms or Psalter is about hymns and praise and songs. But why all this stuff in the midst of Psalms? I thought you're supposed to sing the Lord's my shepherd. I thought he's supposed to talk about the praise and entering his courts with praise and gates with thanksgiving, Psalm 100. And so many psalms of just thanking God. Isn't it wonderful? You can sit down with a guitar or keyboard. You can write songs to make you feel good. I want to praise God. There's a dichotomy there. Make me feel good and praise God. The two don't go together. You praise God and God gives you the assurance that I'm bringing peace because you're really worshiping me, not using me to get ahead in the eyes of man. Praise is good. God calls us to praise him. Just like in the psalm, oh, that men would praise the Lord for all his goodness. Thank him for his goodness. But if I ignore the rest of scripture, I'm in delusion. So what does the rest of the scripture do? Even in this very chapter, it tells me that God does act at a certain point in the best interest of his people with punishment when necessary. And when he acts in punishment, some of the punishment is so severe because it's proportionate to the dire wickedness and rebellion against God who's faced with their fist that he said enough is enough. And in that judgment of the nation as a whole, there are casualties and there are points of no return for certain people. And that's the scary thing. God wanted us to know that. That's why he's in the Bible. That's why today, we don't just have the Gospel of Mark or the Gospel of John. Even there, there's a lot of judgment. The point is this. Please listen carefully. The Apostle Paul and the Apostle James both were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul were dealing was dealing with people being a, a man sent to the Jews initially, when he first got saved, and then his main calling was to the Gentiles. These people came in with regulation after regulation that I got to do something to earn my reputation with God. And he kept telling them, brothers, I was not only like you. I was one up on all of you because I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees as concerning the righteousness in the law of Moses, I was blameless. He said, I did everything. I dotted every I and crossed every T. Show me any of you. He was, he was in the open, Paul. They celebrated him. This guy is so brilliant. He's young, but he's awesome. He's, I mean, anything we tell him to do as per God's honor, go get those Christians. He's there. He's on it. He's living for this stuff. And he's telling them, do you know who I am? Or do you know who I was? A Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he gave his little profile, a little rundown of his profile. He said how he came in and kept the Jewish rites. Even as a baby, they did what they had to do with him, the circumcision and what tribe he came from, who he was taught under, Gamaliel. I mean, this was a stellar Example of Judaism, if there ever was. Paul, Saul, Shaul. So he's encountered the Lord Jesus. His whole life is radically altered. And he's burning with this zeal and love. Oh my God, let my own Jewish people know who you are. They don't know what they're doing, Lord, just like I didn't know. 
and they're not headed to you, Lord. He said, I'm going here. I'm going to the temple. I'm going to reason, argue. Well, amongst the people that came when the early church was birthed, and they were first called Christians at Antioch, Paul made trips, as we know, missionary trips. And before that, he was talking to anyone who would listen. And he got in big trouble because of the truth, because he loved them. They said, you've defected too, traitor. Well, in the midst of that, you had these churches birthed. Churches, I should say, birthed. These people who came to faith. But with that came the bad water too. The authorities from the temple cult in Jerusalem of Judea. It said, some of them said, we like this message too, the message of grace. I think, well, just like in the John the Baptist days, we want to come and hear this. And they said, uh, you know, Paul is a great teacher. And we know what he's talking about. We really believe in Jesus, Jesus too. But I want to tell you, you got to have these other things, these laws. So what Paul did was, he told them, you cannot be saved by your own good works. Get that straight. So he emphasized grace repeatedly. James, on the other hand, had to deal with another type of bad water coming into the church or attempting to. And that was people, a group of people who said, you can do whatever you want. Grace is so powerful. Didn't you hear Paul preach that? I mean, the love of God, it's its out of this world. I can do whatever I want and God will take me back. James said, you're adulterers and adulterers, don't you know? You love the world, you have nothing to do with God. Show me your faith without your works. If you think you have faith, where's the godliness? Where's the walk after God? Where's the separation from the world? Where's the consecration to God? And I will show you my faith by my actions. So people thought that Paul is contradicting James and James is speaking opposite what Paul is saying. No, no. It's just the emphasis for the time and the situation. It's the same truth. Because both James and Paul will also talk about the opposite, quote unquote. James will talk about grace, even though he emphasized action following the genuine faith. Otherwise, he said, you have no faith. It's dead. Paul also emphasized works, actions following the faith. All over his epistles. But we can read the scriptures be lopsided. And it can not only hamper our spiritual growth. Cause us to become blind and deluded. We can actually lose our soul. If we have the wrong doctrine. That's the truth. That's why the Lord said. You cannot receive my teaching. Because you don't have the love of God in you. He told the Pharisees. It's wonderful. When we read the scriptures. And we first of all think about. The original context, who is he talking to? Why would Jesus say this? What's going on? Ask the Holy Spirit to help us to understand. Secondly, what is the Lord speaking to me right now in my situation? Do I ignore that or do I say, Lord, I need to be sober? You see, that now we have it right. What happens is we are filled with God's joy, God's peace. We know exactly how to hear. As the Lord said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In this psalm, they cried out, God delivered them. He led them by the right way. He wanted to go them to go to the city that he prepared. How good God is. Let's give him thanks. Verse 8. And for his wonderful works of the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul. I'm sick and tired of this world. Sick and tired of false religion. False Christianity at that. I'm tired of it. And fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the word of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Sometimes we have to fall down really hard. 
before we cry out, cry out to the Lord. When a person does not cry up to the Lord the way they should, that means they didn't fall hard enough. For those who qualify over here, not everybody has to fall hard enough to cry out to the Lord properly. And God doesn't wait for us to get hurt just to hear us cry. The cry is a cry of salvation and return to God. That's the point. They cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. This is the hope of the gospel. We can go to uh, addiction centers and we can go to prisons and we can go to churches that are dead. They have a form of godliness, but nobody's really alive. They can take their pulse physically, but not spiritually. You won't get anything. Because they're coming to church with chains. They have suits on. They have nice dresses. But imagine a whole bunch of people coming. It's like a music video. With some thematic uh, video. Everybody's coming to church Sunday morning. You hear clank, clank, clank. Who's that? Oh, that's Mr. So-and-so. He's coming. There's his wife. Look at the little ones. Everybody's got chains all over them from head to toe. But they dress beautifully. And they big smile to the usher. God bless you. Yes, the weather's fine, isn't it? I can't wait to worship the Lord. Can hardly lift their hands because they have chains all over their hands. Heavy. And you know what? The preacher has chains too. He comes to the pulpit, clank, clank, clank. We need to understand. Many years ago, the Lord helped me understand this, even as a teenager, that the style of mannerisms and delivery may be different, but the contest or the content will be spot on when it's from the Lord. The person's mannerism, their method of delivery will still remain holy. You see? Culturally, God made us different. Geographically, there are different mannerisms. Contextually, we can try to convey the message in a way that the people we are preaching to understand. That's how it's supposed to be. However, with all those variations, the message will be undiluted. The force of the Holy Spirit will come through a southerner, a northerner, an Asian, an African, a European, whoever it is. And they're quickened by the Holy Spirit. You can't mistake it. You'll feel the anointing of God. You'll know. It's cleansing me. The fountain of God. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men... Would give thanks to the Lord. For his goodness and for his wonderful works of the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. You see the hope that's coming up? And why verse 17? Fools because of the transgression and because of the iniquities were afflicted. Who wrote this? Somebody might say David or someone else, but ultimately it's the Holy Spirit who wrote it. He's the author of the scriptures. God himself wrote this. Is it relevant to the 21st century? On a Tuesday evening, November 8th? Absolutely. I'm going to quickly read the rest of this. Fools because of the transgression and because of the iniquities were afflicted. Oh God, I'm sorry. I know I offended you. Forgive me and I will worship thee. It's not enough. God said their soul abhorred all manner of food and they drew near to the gate of death. Was it God's plan? No. Then they cried out to the Lord in their 
trouble and he saved them again out of the distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of bulls, sheep, turtle doves, lambs. It doesn't say that. It says sacrifices of thanksgiving, certainly out of a pure and humble heart. That's what God is looking for. You see, the physical sacrifices were all geared toward spiritual worship. And Lord, this is a temporary covering for my sin, but I'm worshiping you with this. What is it? My substance. All that I have and all that I am, Lord, you are Lord of it all. It's my privilege to come worship you and give what you told me to give, a portion of what you gave me. You see, they weren't called. God didn't say, everybody bring all the bulls and goats and chickens and everything you've got in your house today. And every day it would make any sense. Say, so bring a portion. And when you bring it, don't bring the rotten stuff. Bring the best. Because who are you giving it to? The king of the universe. And declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Yeah, I suppose you have to be on the sea to appreciate this. People haven't gotten on the sea, especially when there's trouble brewing. Won't fully appreciate this. And we know the terror that can come when we lose control, whether it's in a plane or a boat on the highway in our personal lives, can get a handle on this relationship, can get a handle on how to react here and act. I don't know how to be a Christian on my job. Those can be big waves. doesn't have to be. If we're walking with God, they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. We heard about Peter recently, Matthew 14. He was terrified when he saw the wind. Because of fear, he went down. If he would have just kept his eyes on the Lord, obeyed the Lord, because God says, come. If he says, come, that means I have to keep walking. But he got sidetracked, and he thought, I can't walk. But God said to walk, but I can't, because the wind. God didn't tell you to look at the wind. In spite of the wind, you're supposed to keep walking, because God's word is powerful enough to give you the grace to do what he told you to do. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits end. What a description. You talk about a rich description of calamity, the emotions, and the danger that a person is facing. In the midst of that, what happens? Lord, save me. God. Like in Jonah's time, everybody, quick. Start worshiping your gods, whoever it is. We're in big trouble over here. We came to Jonah. Who are you? What's wrong with you? How come you're not worshiping? Oh, because I know why this is all happening. What are you talking about? Everybody come over. He's, he's saying something, this guy. It's because I've disobeyed the Lord. Hey, he's the real God. I'm not, I'm not doing as well. They said, what on earth? Just do what he said. What's wrong with you? No. In fact, I'll tell you, unless you throw me overboard, the storm's going to continue. They tried hard. They said, this man's out of his mind. We don't want to. Ended up having to do it. And God had his way of getting Jonah back on course. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still peace. Be still. What manner of man is this? They said about Jesus in the boat. Then they're glad because they're quiet. Everything's calm. So he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works that children men. What is this? There's mercy. Mercy. Every time we rebel against God, we cry out to him. We know the window's still open. You see, when the window's closed, it's too late. 
That's why it's very important not to presume upon grace, thinking that I have the window still open. Samson went out one day. He had no idea. God didn't go with him that day. Every day God was going with him. That day God didn't go with him because he kept violating God's will. And God says, now it's time to teach your lesson. And he suffered horribly. In his case, praise God, he came back. But it's not the case with many, many people. So we must be careful never to presume upon grace ourselves and also never to preach a false message of false grace to people when we know if they should die, they will end up in hell. We need to tell them. I don't care about the family reunion as much. I don't care about the new truck you bought me. I don't care about anything. Did you get right with the Lord? Oh, Johnny, you're going to talk about that religion? Don't you know, I support charity. And I always kiss my Bible before I drive. And I give turkey dinners to the homeless in the neighborhood. Don't you think I'm good? Stop picking on me. Just because you want your view to be everybody else's view. Can we just stop and enjoy family right now? Can a real Christian buy that lie and settle down and be a people pleaser? Well, when the Spirit of God leads us, sometimes he'll say, keep quiet and wait till I tell you to speak. That's true. But the reality will be hitting the relative who's really walking with God every day and night. The burden will be so intense. Lord, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, Lord, do it, Lord. They've got to go to be with you when they die. I don't want to see them in hell, Lord, and have blood on my hands. Please show me when to speak, how to speak. You see, that's the heartbeat. And God will show exactly when to speak, what to speak. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people. Election day. Assembly. Assembly men. People assembling together. Exercise their tremendous right to vote. This is the ticket right here. Hit. You see that party? Just take that main box. You want everybody on that in that party there. Okay, that's what you do. You can get all the people of the places and say, yes, we've got our man, we've got our woman in every single office that we wanted to. This is fantastic. It's time to celebrate. It's better than Monday Night Football. We won. The problem is Jesus was not elected. So an assembly is good no matter what it is. Only if the Lord is really the head of that assembly. And praise him in the company of the elders, senior officials. The analysts. The people in the know. Talk shows. News media, all these things. We need to make sure that the Lord is presiding over everything. Praise be to God. He turns the rivers, rivers into a wilderness, and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness. For the wickedness of those who dwell in it. If anybody should say, a disaster didn't come because of God's wickedness, uh, the people's wickedness, and God had to act in his righteousness too. Repay the people for the wickedness. We need to remember that it's contrary to scripture. Anytime, anytime major disaster happens, especially major disasters of any type, didn't God say he'll protect his people? Didn't he say that the righteousness of a nation 
will bring prosperity. When different things happen, we need to understand something's going on. We don't have to look far. We just have to see the wickedness in the people around us. We just have to make sure we're not part of the problem. Then God will protect us. In the midst of the flood, he will have an ark for us. But look at what happens. Rivers, these natural resources that are supposed to keep running if the conditions are right. He turns it into wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Did this change? No. No. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell, that they may establish a city for a dwelling place, and sow fields and plant vineyards, that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and he does not let their cattle decrease. So he has the power to do both. Because he's always righteous, he not only knows what he's doing, he does what is the best to wake people up. It's when a plague happens. The people start filling the churches. They start searching for God, unfortunately, many times. But thank God, at least that happens. There are those who get saved during that time. They will regret the fact that they had to get to that point if they really understand what God is doing. They'll say, oh, that God would be praised. Men would praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I was lost. We had a woman, actually, who we ministered in a certain place. She was a queen of real estate in a region. She had money coming like anything. Brand new Mercedes Benz. I mean, she worked for it. Now she was not exactly a good person at that time. But when that superstorm Sandy hit many years ago, she lost everything, basically, business. And she said, I live for me. It's all about me, my things, my money, my image. I'm the queen. She said, that that made me turn to God. She said, I'm so thankful now. She said, when I handle people's housing and everything, and they beg and plead, I don't act mean and throw them out. I actually try to work a way out to help them. See the change. But it took loss in her to be taken down from her high horse so that she can look up and say, God, it's after all, it's you that's holding me together. It's not my smarts. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. When they're diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness while where there's no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous seed and rejoice, and all iniquity stops its mouth. The concluding verse, whoever is wise will observe these things. And they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. What a way to end the chapter. With all the judgment and the suffering... God is known by the judgment he executes, how righteous he is, and also his loving kindness and mercy. Because he allowed things to happen, Gideon was able to be visited by the angel. And he was able to hear the message. Initially, he didn't believe it, but then he got on board. You think if they were flourishing, Gideon would really pay attention? But it didn't have to come to that, but then it did. So the wisdom that God gives us will help us to analyze everything in our lives, everything in our lives, the right way, everything that happens in society, the right way, everything that's going on in the church of the Lord and churches in the right way to know, not to cover up things and say a uh, blanket statement and deal in generalizations and cliches and, you know, people run on that, running on empty, lots of cliches. It's sickening. God wants us to speak the truth because only the truth, when we know it, will set us free. So here's an example, prime example in Psalm 107. 
of what's in the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The cycle, the cyclic pattern of God's people especially not following him faithfully and things come in that a lot of people will say, well, I guess it was God's will. When it wasn't, some door was open for the enemy to come and confuse things and cause problems. We did something. We own up to that. We say, Lord, you're so good. I'm breathing. I'm still breathing. And I have an opportunity to repent. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not, I'm not going that route anymore. Lord, I don't want to wander in the wilderness anymore. What do I have to do, Lord? And you know what the Lord says? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If we have that, none of these things will happen in our lives. Will we have trials and sorrow and pain? Yes. Because we're in this world. There will be tribulation. And you must enter heaven, the apostle said in the book of Acts, through much tribulation. There will be a lot of tests. It won't be easy. The way of the cross is not easy. However, when we are tested like Job and Daniel and Joseph, and we hold fast to our integrity, not our self-defense that I'm okay, everybody's wrong, but to know in my heart I've been serving the Lord. What does that mean? That means I've been walking separate from this wicked world, consecrated myself to God, walking carefully, in the path that he's laid out for me with an intimate relationship with him saying, Lord, if I wake up tomorrow, I lose everything, a cyclone hit, everything I saved, all my work, everything's gone. I still have you. Yeah, I can hear it in a song and be a wonderful theme for a movie and lesson, you know, sit down, pull up that coffee mug close to you and have your notes and, but when it actually happens, that's when what's really in the heart comes out. To have that detachment way before things can happen. Every day, Lord, you're my life. Your fountain, living water for me, Lord. I want to spend more time with you. That's a critical thing. Real quality time with the Lord. And then make it a discipline because he's our life. Blessed be God's name. Father in heaven, we thank you. Directing us, Lord, to this psalm. Oh, Holy One, may the fear of the living God be in our hearts. May the love and joy of God be in our hearts. May hope arise that I can walk like Jesus in this world. By his commandments and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Lord, to be a people the Lord will be well pleased with. Oh, Father, yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, no matter what happens, I will fear no evil because I'm walking in righteousness. You are with me. You're leading me in the paths of right living. And that's the path I will stay on. Whatever changes need to happen, thank you, Lord, for helping us to make it happen with the grace that you give right away so that you may give more grace to transform us, conform us to the image of your Son, who is the express image of the invisible God, the brightness of his glory. Holy One, thank you for all you've given us, Lord, especially for your word not only informs us, it transforms us, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.